Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. I am excited about introducing our guest today. He works with the Environmental Working Group, EWG, an organization that a lot of us rely on for great research, great factual information about the key environmental issues and issues of environmental pollutant and degradations that we all care about here uh, on Go Green Radio. And Craig uh, is actually with the Midwest office of the EWG. And we're going to be talking to him about what the Midwest office does, some of the issues that they um, are on point and the spearhead for, for the Environmental Working Group. And I'm just so thrilled to have him on the show today. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Craig. We're glad to have you. Well, thank you so much. Good morning to all. Well, I would love to start by having you talk to us about what the Environmental Working Group's Midwest office does. Just give us a kind of an overview of the function of that particular office. Be happy to. Here in the Midwest office of EWG, we, we do a lot of what EWG does across the country, but we have a particularly strong focus on agriculture both agriculture policy and agriculture programs, but also the impact that agriculture has on our environment. And the last few years, we've spent a lot of time focusing on drinking water and the the good things and the bad things that, that farming can have to do with the quality of water that we drink every day. That is awesome. And I I love some of the reports that you have on your website because I've never seen research about these topics presented this way. And and I think they're so unique and so powerful. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about some of the reports that your Midwest office has produced and give you a chance to help our listeners understand both the environmental and the public policy issues involved in each one of these reports. So let's take our time with this one and start with the report that your office published in January of this year that found that large CAFOs, or confined animal feeding operations, in Iowa are up five-fold over 1990. Talk to us about the findings in this report and why it's so important. Well, let me just back up one second and talk a little bit about why we're focusing on CAFOs and animal agriculture. So there's been huge changes here in the Midwest over the last 20, 25 years. One of them is that we've really expanded the acreage and intensified production of just two crops, corn and soybeans. That's had big implications for the environment and drinking water. But even more so, there's been a huge expansion and concentration of livestock, which has kind of gone on under the radar without a whole lot of good information about just how many animals we have, how much manure, where is it going. So we've spent quite a bit of time trying to fill that gap. And the study that you're citing in Iowa is one example of that. So what we did was we actually used satellite imagery, so looking from space, 
to identify where all of these larger confined animal operations have been. We track them over the years from 1990 to 2019 and counted how many more we had over that time period. So we, we had 718 of these operations in 1990, just less than 4,000 by 2019, so a five-fold increase. And the, the implications of that, not, not to be too gross, but there's 23 million hogs in Iowa now. That's compared to 3.2 million people. And the amount of manure or waste they produce each year is close to 70 times greater than the amount produced by people. So, so where all that waste goes, how well it's managed, has tremendous implications for drinking water and clean rivers, lakes, and streams. Wow. I, I mean, that's an incredible statistic. And, you know, on Go Green Radio, we do a lot of shows about municipal solid waste and how, uh-huh. you know, you know that kind of waste is managed. But, you know, I, I in 12 years of doing this show, we've never really talked about how that kind of waste, agricultural animal waste, is handled. And tell us a little bit about what is in the report that, that, either makes public policy suggestions or just talks about what's currently going on to manage that stream of waste. So for you, for I think most of your listeners probably know that what happens to the waste is it's applied to crop fields as fertilizer. And in the right amounts and in the right places, um, you know, manure can be a great fertilizer, really good for crops, sometimes good for the soil. But the big issue is over-application and applying in areas where the manure is more likely to get to leave the field when it rains and end up in our water or for some of the components of the manure, like nitrate in particular, which is a nitrogen fertilizer, can seep through the soil and get into groundwater that's used for drinking. And that's a huge issue now in the Midwest and, in fact, across the country. There's millions of people, drinking water for millions of people across the country have elevated levels of nitrate, you know, something I think we'll get in later. So the big, the big issue is making sure that that manure gets used wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I'm sorry, yeah, go there's right couple, ahead. Okay, there's, there's a couple of avenues. One is some of these facilities are actually regulated under the Clean Water Act. Not very many, only the very, very largest. So one avenue is to try to make sure that those permits are really solid and effective and are actually making sure that that manure is used appropriately. But as I said, that affects only a few operations. So different states have different regulations or standards that they try to get farmers to follow. 
And that's another point of advocacy at the state level is to try to dramatically strengthen those standards, make sure they're based on the most recent and sound science, and then, you know, have the capacity to get out there and make sure that those standards are being followed. Absolutely. Enforcement is always the key. Well, there's another report that I want to talk about because actually, folks, if you want to check out these reports and and if you're into these issues at all, and everybody should be, of course, I think that I'm geeky about it, but you can go to EWG.org, click on key issues, and then you can find the Midwest office. And all of these resources are on the Midwest office's navigation uh, page on the on the right hand side, um, in a in a sidebar. But the the next report that I wanted to give you time to talk about because this is where these agricultural issues bleed over into affecting everyday people. In April 2019, you released a report that found that Iowa has a lot of private wells that are contaminated by nitrate and bacteria. And I want to give you time to talk to us about that report. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's kind of the implication of the way manure and fertilizer is used that results in directly impacting the drinking water of thousands of people. Just to back up a minute, the drinking water from household wells is really a special case. Um, You know, if you're drinking water from a town or city that you live in, you know, those wells are tested. Um, The departments of health in those states track the quality of those, that drinking water. There's legal limits set on the level of contaminants that can be in that drinking water. And if it looks like something's going awry, you know, the state agencies will step in. That's not at all true for families that are drinking water out of their own wells. You know, there's no comprehensive testing or regular testing. Those folks have no help for the most part. If they do test and find something wrong, it's really up to them to spend the money to fix the well or treat the water or, you know, do whatever they can do. And often there's not very many options for them. So Mm -hmm. we've been really, as we've looked at drinking water, we've really tried to put some serious emphasis on these household wells. The problem we encounter is there's just not that much testing done. But in Iowa, just by chance, they have a program that actually does help private well owners test their wells. Mm-hmm. So we were over we were able in Iowa to assemble this testing data on tens of thousands of wells in the state and what we found was you know there was bacteria in 22,000 household wells wow just over 4,000 of those had bacteria every time they were tested and there is no safe level of bacteria Wow, that's um, big, Craig. And I, you know, this is one of those things that I want to spend some time on for sure. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about this. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. And in case you've just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Craig Cox, and he works at the Environmental Working Group, but he runs their Midwest office, uh, which is located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, He is one of my fellow Big Ten uh, alums. He went to the (laughs) University of Minnesota. I'm University of Illinois. Go alive. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Craig has uh, quite a quite a background. I want to make sure everybody realizes. Um, he started his career in the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Um, he went on to work for the National Academy of Sciences, the Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and he was also the executive director of the Soil and Water um, Conservation Society. So, you know, we've got as always, on Go Green Radio, a subject matter expert on what we're talking about here today. So, Craig, there's a report on your website, the EWG website for the Midwest office, and the report is entitled, Polluted Runoff, A Broken Promise Threatens Drinking Water in the Heartland. And I think this is a really important read. Um, talk to us and help explain to our listeners what that report uncovers. So one of the most important things that's ever happened in a federal farm bill, you know, this is the legislation that comes around every five years. It's a massive piece of legislation that has has to do with conservation, food stamps, farm subsidies, all kinds of stuff. But um, in 1985, 
there was a provision in, in the bill that we call the Conservation Compact, and that was essentially an agreement between farmers and taxpayers and that uh, to continue to receive the billions in subsidies that farmers get from the federal taxpayer, they promised to do a few things to protect the environment. One was to take some practices to reduce erosion and runoff from some of their most vulnerable land, and then also to refrain from draining wetlands unless they mitigated. So that was a remarkable advance. It worked incredibly well in the 1990s. Erosion and runoff was cut 40% on 100 million acres of cropland, just amazing. Um, but there's been increasing evidence that the compact is failing now, largely because of lack of enforcement. And that's what we set about to do in this study, was to try to see if, you know, what kind of evidence we could, would act, could actually document on the extent to which the compact was still being honored. And, and I know that, you know, when we're talking about runoff from agricultural operations, there are a variety of things that are in that runoff. Help us understand what's in it, what the implications are, and why the everyday American should care about agricultural runoff. Well, what runs off agricultural fields, that water is carrying with it everything that's been applied to that field. So sometimes it's soil in the form of mud. Sometimes it's manure. Sometimes it's fertilizer. Sometimes it's pesticides or other farm chemicals. So that runoff is a huge source of uncontrolled and unregulated water pollution. It's, it's by far the biggest source across the country of water quality impairments that isn't really handled by the Federal Clean Water Act. So that's why the compact was so important to environmentalists and to most farmers at the time was it was... It was an interesting way to sort of trade, you know, continued support from taxpayers for at least some action to clean up what's coming off their fields. And unfortunately, what we found is there's clear evidence using, again, using satellite imagery, looking at fields from space, that, that the compact simply isn't being honored. You released a report in 2019 that discuss, discusses how cover crops could help reduce mm -hmm. polluted runoff. Talk to us about that report. So cover crops are one of the really encouraging uh, and promising stories that are happening actually all across the country, but particularly here in the Midwest. So one of the biggest reasons why farm fields tend to lose soil and farm chemicals and manure and fertilizer is if you think about it, those fields have nothing green and growing on them for sometimes eight or to nine months out of the year. So it's that period where the crop isn't actively growing that is most vulnerable to polluted runoff. 
And what cover crops are intended to do is to keep that field protected, to have something green and growing on that field over that eight or nine months before the crop is growing again. So they're incredibly effective at protecting water. They're really good at building soil health. They're often very helpful to farmers in terms of reducing their need for fertilizer. Um, So what we did, again, using images from space, is we tracked how much cover crop was being used in Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa between 2015 and 2017. So the good news is we found that cover crop use has increased over that period in those three states. That's the good news, and it's encouraging. The bad news is the, the, you know, the percent of fields that are still protected using cover crops is, is very small. In Illinois, it was about 3.6%, mm. Indiana, 7.8%. Iowa, 3.9%. So it's good to see their usage increasing, but it's going to need to increase far more rapidly than it has been in order to get the kind of protection of our drinking water and streams and lakes that we need. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt about it. And I want to highlight another area of the Midwest uh, homepage or Midwest section of the EWG's website, because for people who are visual learners or like, um, you know, visual objects instead of just text, um, this is a fun section. Um, I really dug deep into the resources page, which is what you guys call it, and you have all kinds of stuff. So let's get our listeners excited to go check out this section of your website. Talk to us about the databases that our listeners can find on your site, because they are pretty cool. So for this discussion, in terms of Midwest and agriculture, there's a couple really important databases, one of which is our famous farm subsidy database that we started back in the mid-'90s and have been doing every year since then. But you you can see in great detail the amount of subsidies that are flowing to individual farmers under uh, an incredibly complicated and confusing list of programs that have been in place, different programs in different years. But it just shows you two things. One, there's a whole lot of money going to farmers. And two, in our view, unfortunately, most of it is probably going to farmers that don't really need the help. Like, you know, something like Mm two-thirds of the money goes to the top ten percent of farmers. So we still, even though we're spending a lot of money supporting farmers, I think we're leaving a lot of family farmers, you know, behind and they just aren't getting the support we think they should get. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. The other one that might be of real interest to folks is in 2019, we just updated our tap water database. So you can actually type in your zip code and you'll see what the test results are for the, the drinking water that's being supplied by your local utility. 
Mm-hmm. And if there's if there's things there that you know make us a little bit worried, we provide a whole bunch more information about those um, contaminants, what kind of filters you could use if you want to go down that road. You know, encourage you to get engaged in work to protect source water. In other words, to keep contaminants out of drinking water instead of relying on treatment to do that. Exactly. So those two are um, those two are really important resources. They are, and actually, I had one of your colleagues who's working on the PFAS in drinking water oh, yeah. on my show. Yeah, um, and she and I were going through that database so that people could very easily, like you said, just type in your zip code, and you can find. You know, if PFAS or, as we're discussing now, nitrates or bacteria or other things are in um, our local drinking water, it's an amazing resource that you guys have put together. I mean, which is not surprising. I count on the Environmental Working Group and your research and your analysis for a lot of things. And, and it's just a superior and, and well-done database. You have some pretty cool videos on your website, uh-huh. too. Uh, so talk to us about what you've got there. Well, um, you know, as you know, the work we do covers a broad arena from agriculture to consumer products to diet and nutrition. And what we found is to communicate with people, videos are incredibly effective. So we actually now have a full-time videographer on staff in our D.C. office, so you know, you can see videos about what products are best to buy. You can see videos on which food has the least pesticides. Um, you can see some really interesting videos about what's actually happening on the agricultural landscape and what some of these conservation practices look like, how they're used, and on the other side, what some of the bad practices look like. So it's, um, I love them. I love the videos, and they seem to be very popular. And I finally, I I, kind of think that in the end, we we need to get these out to teachers right now who are looking for online content all the time now that we've all gone digital. Um, So I want to give a shout out to all of our teachers who are listening that the Environmental Working Group's videos may be something you want to share with your students. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about with Craig Cox from the Environmental Working Group. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world 
world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. We're talking with Craig Cox, who runs the Midwest office for the Environmental Working Group. And we're talking about some of the resources that you can find on the Midwest office's uh, section of the EWG website. Um, One of the things that I really love, and we were talking about videos a minute ago, and I do think a lot of people respond to that, but you also have a graphics and photography section on your site, which is amazing. And it's also, you know, these are resources that people can use in their own presentations if they're going to be, you know, talking about the importance of protecting drinking water from ag runoff or some of the other issues that you guys are are working on. Some of these resources, um, you know, can help other people who are advocating and joining in your mission. Talk to us about some of the the graphics and some of the photography that our listeners could find in that section of your website. So there's a couple of really interesting resources. One is, as, as you know, if you've been exploring our website and reports, we've we've been doing a lot of interactive maps and interactive infographics. Um, there's actually one part of the website that assembles all of those materials. Um, and there's, there's, <laughs> there's getting to be a very long list of those interactive materials. But, um, they, you know, especially on the agriculture side, but also we've been doing a lot of interactive mapping of where PFAS is contaminating water, so that's a great source, and you can, you know, click on the dots that are in your neighborhood and see what your drinking water looks like or what the particular issue is in your local neighborhood. So I'd encourage folks to take a look at those interactive maps. We also have um, on very scattered through various properties, we've got other kinds of interactive infographics that try to explain, for example, how does stuff coming off farm fields end up in your drinking water? That's just one example. And, you know, the photos, some of the photos are ours. Others were taken from public um, sources. But it's, it's mostly just to give people a sense of what, 
what agriculture really looks like. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people that have not really seen farm country in the Midwest, and pictures pictures really help us describe what the what the good news is and what the bad news is. Mm-hmm. And I want to give our listeners the the URL to find this on your website. It's pretty easy, guys. We're talking about the Environmental Working Group. So their main link is ewg.org. But once you get there, you click on Key Issues, then click on Midwest, and then over on the right-hand side in the sidebar, click on Resources. And this is where you can find the databases, the videos, the graphics, the interactive maps. Now, there's another resource that you guys produce out of the Midwest office that I love. It's called AgMag. Tell our mm-hmm. listeners a little bit about AgMag. Well, AgMag uh, was a, an idea we hatched a few years ago, which was to try to find a way to, to have one portal into all of our work around agriculture, the environment, farm policy, food and water in one place because as you as you know we have a lot of content and they, it tends to get scattered across the website mm-hmm. and AgMag was our solution to that so you can see a list of our most recent reports there's a really cool button you can hit to see that long list of interactive maps I was telling you about you can also see our most recent blog posts or, you know, short pieces mm-hmm. that we're publishing on issues. And, you know, we cover conservation, we cover subsidies, we cover food, we cover water. So it's a it's kind of a one-stop shop for all of the work EWG is doing on agriculture, not, not just the work we're doing here in the Midwest. Well, tell us about one of the recent articles in AgMag. It discusses the risk of airborne exposure to toxic algae blooms. I was blown away by that. I had no idea that there was an airborne exposure problem. Talk to us about that issue. Well, neither did we. Um, You know, this whole toxic algae issue sort of was under the radar until 2014, when Toledo's drinking water supply was shut down for four days because of a huge toxic outbreak in Lake Erie. And that kind of blew the issue up, and we started working on it intensely after that. But, the, you know, the focus has been on are those toxins getting into drinking water or even more directly, you know, are people, you know, getting hurt when they go swimming or fishing or, um, you know, getting the toxins by, you know, un, you know, unintentionally drinking some of the water they're swimming in or the toxins get through their skin. But there have been stories. We've been tracking news stories. There have been stories about what appeared to be people getting sick just by walking along the shore. Mm. By. So there was some suspicion that the toxins in the water could end up in the air. And, um, and this study is, uh, at least for us, it was one of the most important studies that really tried to nail down 
the extent to which breathing these toxins could cause trouble. And, and then, you know, I don't know if you remember the awful algal outbreaks that occurred in Florida the last couple of years. Yes. Just really terrible. And there, there was a lot more stories of people feeling like they were getting sick just by, you know, trying to walk along the beach. Or even some of people in homes near the beach felt like, you know, the wind was blowing, obviously foul-smelling air to them, but also there were some reports of them feeling like they were getting ill. So it's, it's a new arena, not entirely well understood, but again... Just more reason to stay away from these outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no question. Now, another recent article that you had in AgMag discusses the fact that algae blooms may become a year-round problem. Now, again, not everybody that's listening understands, you know, exactly what's going on with algae blooms. I know that people around the Great Lakes are super duper familiar with it, but some people in other parts of the country are not. So talk to us about why this issue of year round algae blooms might be a big deal and, and what's at stake. So there's two main things that are triggering these outbreaks. Uh, One is um, over loading of these waters with phosphorus, which was a, is a component of nitrogen or a component of fertilizer and manure. <coughs> and, and there are other sources other than agriculture, but agriculture is by far the dominant source. So that's number one. And then number two is warm water, or at least we thought that, but I'll have one crazy story where that's not true but Mm -hmm. so it's that combination so we know with the climate crisis that water is getting warmer and warmer in most parts of the state or of the country so that's exacerbating the blooms it's making them happen more frequently it's making them happen over longer periods of time and also the climate crisis is having a real effect on how much phosphorus is running off farm fields because, you know, the rainfall is tending to come in more frequent and larger downpours, which just really cause a lot more runoff from agricultural fields. So it's that kind of double whammy that is of concern to both triggering more of these across the country and lengthening the amount of time that they are in place instead of just kind of coming and going. But I just, I got to tell you one story. You know, the Des Moines Waterworks has been one of the leading water utilities in raising the issue of these toxic algae toxins in drinking water. And their microbiologist told us a couple of years ago that they were actually starting to see these toxins in the wintertime. And they, were, they started tracking them upstream, and they found that in some areas, the blooms were actually happening under the ice, which is just, Amazing. They're, so, you know, 
I'm not sure we understand. I I think these outbreaks could be way more common and more long-lasting than we thought they would be. Wow. You know, I would love for you to talk to us about one of the recent articles that's entitled Farm Conservation on the Rise, but also threats to, threatens to drinking water and climate. Talk to us about the findings in the most recent census of agriculture, because I found that really fascinating. We did, too, uh, partly because we were interested to seeing if the, if the census was picking up the same kind of trends we were in our use of satellite imagery, and we found a, you know, really encouraging consistency, especially on cover crops. But mm-hmm. um, absolutely, yeah. So that's that always really encourages us. Again, it's a still mm-hmm. a small percent of cropland, but the, you know, they they were reporting the same kind of growth that we were reporting on. They were finding, you know, that the more Conserving tillage practices were growing, but unfortunately, that growth has kind of seems like it's leveled off. Mm-hmm. But the other, um, there were other trends that were of concern in terms of increasing use of manure. You know, similar to what we talked about in our earlier studies mm-hmm. with the growth in animal agriculture more acres receiving fertilizer. So it's, you know, there's conflicting trends. And for the most part, um, the good trends are not good enough to keep up with the bad trends, which is where the, yeah. you know, the threat to drinking water. But, you know, And we're so lucky that more. we have you guys taking a look at this and doing the studies that we all need to know. We're going to take just a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have so much to talk about with Craig Cox of the Environmental Working Group. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Our guest today is Craig Cox from the Environmental Working Group. He runs their Midwest office. And Craig, your office monitors um, and reports on government subsidy programs. And I would love for you to talk to us about the Environmental Working Group's stance on subsidies and what public policy shifts your organization would like to see. Well, that's a complicated subject, so let me sort of cut to the chase. (laughs) Number one is there's a lot of money that goes out in subsidies, billions and billions of dollars a year. The first issue we have with that is that I mentioned earlier, how much money you get from these subsidies at the end of the day is largely determined by how big your farm is and how much crop you produce. So not surprisingly then, most of this money goes to by far the largest farms in the country. And those subsidy amounts can be huge, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year going to a particular farming operation. And our concern is is that, you know, the family farms, the smaller family farms that need probably need more help, especially right now, are, are sort of getting the crumbs of the subsidy system. So people have been working to fix that for years and years, um, not successfully so far. So that's one big point. The second point is that the way these subsidies are designed they tend to encourage or at least facilitate producers doing the most specialized, less diverse um, form of farming. And we know, you know, with all the research that's gone on, that diversifying farms is one of the most important ways to help clean up water, protect the climate, build the soil. So they, they... They work at cross-purposes to the kind of conservation and farming systems that would be more sustainable. That's actually part of the reason why the argument was made for the Conservation Compact way back in 1985, because, you know, that problem was recognized even, you know, that long ago. So those Mm -hmm. are the... You know, those are the two big things. We also think that if we targeted that those subsidies much more carefully based on need and to the farmers that really need the help, that would free up billions of dollars, literally, that could be used to help push us along to a much more sustainable and environmentally friendly farming system. Mm Mm-hmm. So true. And, and, you know, I mean, I think, um, 
you know, if we're not taking into account the the financial health of the, the farms that we've got, um, we could end up with a real lack of diversity um, in terms of which farming operations make it and which ones go under. And let's face it, um, you know, we, we've never been more aware of a crisis situation and the need for a diverse supply chain for what we find in the grocery store than we are right now. So um, we need to be thinking about those kinds of issues, and I'm glad that you guys are on that. Um, There was a a letter of support that the Environmental Working Group recently sent um, for a Minnesota House bill, and it talks about the issue of testing private wells in the state. This is something we talked about a little earlier in the show. So can you talk to us a little bit about that piece of legislation and about um, EWG's stance on that? Well, nitrate in drinking water in Minnesota has really become a serious issue. And uh, they're just in the process now of implementing a new rule that's going to have some regulatory impact on when fertilizer can be applied. It's, um, It's shot full of loopholes, but it is a first step. So that's created a lot of attention to this issue of nitrate in groundwater in wells. And we like to think maybe thanks to some of our work that, the, you know, the special needs of private well owners, which we talked about earlier, is getting more attention. Mm-hmm. And they're just, as I said, you know, there's no regular testing for people to know what's in their wells. And this bill would would require that when property is changing hands, that there has to be a well test done, and the buyers need to be informed of what the result of that well test is. You know, sort of like the inspection that's done when you sell a house. This mm-hmm. would be an inspection of the well. So we think mm-hmm. that's a great idea. Um, so we are definitely supporting that legislation. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a, a little bit of a broader question because we have listeners, you know, from all over the United States. We have listeners from other countries. Why should a listener who lives outside of the United States Midwest region care about the work that the Environmental Working Group is doing in that area of the country? So the most direct answer to that is that all of the issues we're dealing with here around drinking water, algae, they're happening all across the country. We have a report coming out in a month or so that will show that California, Pennsylvania, Maryland, you know, from coast to coast, Drinking water contaminated with nitrate is a really big problem. In fact, in California, it's really a serious problem. So it's mm-hmm. not, these problems aren't limited to the Midwest. Um, and it's clear that there's a big opportunity for farmers to produce clean water and crops together. So it's, You know, what we're trying to do here in the Midwest is applicable to what's happening everywhere in the country, and we pay attention 
to policies that are happening across the country because we're all we're all kind of facing the same general issues and challenges you know wherever farming is an important piece of the puzzle mhm you know i have a feeling that a lot of our listeners are going to want to get involved somehow um you know maybe they'll get out on the ewg.org website or you know get a hold of some of your resources but give us some ideas about if we have listeners all fired up right now how they can get involved with the work that you're doing so the most immediate thing to do would be to connect with us you can sign up on agmag the you know, the property you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. you can follow us on facebook um you can always donate of course um mm-hmm. but also there's there's often really good opportunities to find groups working in your state or your locality on these similar issues and there's almost always opportunities to get more involved directly in um in those with those groups and those issues you know right in your home area mm-hmm. i mean if you're following us we'll send out action alerts from time to time we're making a big investment in the midwest now to try to get build our capacity to be more directly involved with with people in the midwest so um that's awesome so Craig. You, you guys are doing you, such great work yeah i'm so impressed and i am so glad that we had you on the show we could talk with you for for a long time past our show time but our time is up but i want to thank you for being on the show i want to thank our listeners for being with us we're going to be here same time same place next week with go green radio and until then everybody have a great week and do something in your life to go green Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.